0: through 10 our sermon this morning will primarily fixate on verses 1 through 5 the text is also printed there in the bulletin for you Isaiah chapter 11 starting in verse 1 there shall come forth from a forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. In that day the brood of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You may be seated. And as you do, let us together go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do come before you, confessing our longing for this rod of Jesse, our Savior Jesus Christ, to come again. God, would you fill us with joy as we unpack what it means that he is the rod of Jesse, our Savior and our ruler. May your word flow through us. May it embed itself deep within our hearts by the power of your spirit. May it give us hope and joy this morning we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In Homer's great work, the Iliad, he wrote to the following, "A multitude of rulers is not a good thing. Let there be one ruler, one king." While certainly this would be a disastrous human endeavor given our current political and global environment. What we just read from the prophet Isaiah, I feel confident to say he would agree with Homer. There should be one ruler and one king. And the prophet of God knows exactly who that individual should and will in fact be. We have come to the third Sunday in Advent and the third Sunday in our series, working through, as Tim mentioned earlier, the the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the title for this morning, The Rod of Jesse, centers on the longing of God's people for that good and righteous ruler. And the rod of Jesse points to Jesus, the one and only such ruler. He came in his first advent to inaugurate his reign, and he will come again in his second advent to bring the consummation, the fullness of his reign over every square inch of creation. And so our text this morning encourages us, in fact even calls us then to rejoice in Jesus The promised rod of Jesse, the ruler this world desperately needs and the ruler his people longingly await. You'll find the points in the bulletin for you. We'll look at the reign of Jesse in three parts. First, we'll look at the rod's arrival, then the rod's attributes, and then finally the rod's activity. And again, the hope is not only that we walk away with a better understanding of who Jesus is as the rod of Jesse, as good as that would be, A better understanding should also lead us then to with confidence to place our hope in the rod of Jesse. To rejoice in his having come in his first advent and his coming again. For he is the one ruler, the one king who alone is up to and can handle the task. So Isaiah opens then in verse 1 with the rod's arrival. What will the situation look like when this individual, whoever he may be, comes onto the scene? And a brief word of context might be a little bit helpful in us understanding the picture that Isaiah paints in this first verse. At the end of Isaiah chapter 6, that very familiar chapter where Isaiah is in the throne room, in verse 13, the Lord actually ends it with pronouncing judgment upon his people. They have been idolatrous, they have been rebellious, and the Lord is coming with judgment. And in verse 13 he says, though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And then again in in chapter 10, right before 11 verse 1, we read something similar regarding the mighty empire of the Assyrians. If you have your Bibles open, you can just jump two verses prior. We're in verse 33. It says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe. So as we jump into Isaiah 11, we see the futures for both Assyria and Israel are stumps. God will use the nation of Babylon, a mightier nation than they, to judge these two once powerful nations. Now to many of us, particularly our kids here this morning, stumps sound like and indeed are fun. They can be climbed, they can be jumped from, and tons more. We have plenty of stumps up in our playground area, and our kids are often standing on them, jumping from them, proving that stumps can indeed be fun. But the truth is that stumps are pictures of death. The trees that once were there are gone. doesn't matter if they were once huge or massive or powerful or strong. All that is left is a stump. Where once life thrived, only death remains in this lifeless stump. And this is how things are looking for Assyria and Israel, the entire nation, in the days when the rod of Jesse would arrive on the scene. They're dead stumps. Which brings us then to the first reality regarding the rod's arrival. It is insignificant. Look at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What we see is there's good news. One of these stumps indeed has something growing, but it's not going to appear like much. It's a twig. It's a fragile tender shoot from one of these stumps easily broken even if someone were to just pass by it and it catch the edge of their cloak but if that's not enough to reveal the insignificance the stump is identified with Jesse not David because you see if the if the stump was identified with David it would start to trigger these ideas of the the monarchy is coming again that period of time where it grew, where it saw its enemies defeated, and where relative peace and security abounded. A rod of David would certainly be something to celebrate. It would scream a big deal, possibly even a return to the former days of glory. But Jesse, on the other hand, stresses insignificance. Because sure, while he was David's father... That's really all we know about it. He lived in the obscure town of Bethlehem. He had some herds and some sons, but that's all we know. He's an unknown man from an unknown town. And so a rod of Jesse wouldn't be someone to celebrate. Instead of joyous screams of yahoo, it would be joyous questions of who? As one scholar writes, the emphasis on Jesse suggests something more primal than simply another descendant of David. A brand new start from the root is what Isaiah has in mind. And so humanly speaking, we see this rod of Jesse would be unspectacular. He would be unimpressive. He would be insignificant. However, we also must take note that in his insignificance, he would still be fruitful. Look at how the verse closes. And he and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And this is where we see these two stumps diverge. The stump of Assyria would never again bear fruit. And we have history to prove that is indeed what happened. We at our home have two dead rotting stumps on the side of our driveway. They were cut down before we moved in. And if you look at them, you'll see that things grow around them. Fungus grows on top of them, but the stumps themselves are lifeless. Nothing can grow or will grow from them. There's no life in them. And such is the picture that we get of the stump of Assyria. That nation is finished. It's done with. But the stump of Israel, we see something beautiful, something glorious. It is not a stump like that. For sure, their judgment was going to be devastating, but it would not be final. There would be a remnant. There would still be life flowing in the roots. And that single, insignificant, tender twig would indeed bear fruit. What will the fruit look like? What kind of fruit will it be? We'll look at this a little bit more in our next two points. But for this first point, it's, it's enough for us to simply revel in the fact that there would actually be fruit, where we would not expect fruit to be. Out of a seemingly insignificant, something seemingly insignificant would grow something unimaginably significant. As only God could do, he would bring life, even in the most bleak and the most desperate of circumstances. For this rod would not remain that tiny, tender shoot. The branch would grow and increase in might and in strength. And fast-forwarding then to Jesus Christ, we see and we know that he fulfilled this aspect of the rod of Jesse. For in Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, he places Jesus in David's lineage, which also includes Jesse in all his insignificance. And his birth story, it just screams of insignificance if you read Matthew or Luke or John. He came as a baby to an unmarried young woman in that same small, obscure town of Bethlehem. He was born surrounded by animals and all their glorious smells, sights, and noises. And it was the uneducated shepherds who were the first to declare the good news of his arrival. But then from there, his insignificance would only increase, for he would live a life not of regal glory, but of humiliation. But through that humiliation would come his exaltation. Because of his rejection, because people thought he was truly insignificant, those who did receive him would have the right to become children of God, as John says in his prologue. And that's some of the fruit that this rod would bear. And so may we not be tempted to look past the insignificant arrival of the rod of Jesse. But also may we not be tempted to look past the seemingly insignificant ways that God continues to bear fruit in the lives of his people. Weekly worship, the word, the means of grace, the communions of the saints, humanly speaking, they sound fairly insignificant and yet they are the means by which God brings the fruits of the rod of Jesse in the lives of his people. To so me we embrace the insignificant ways that God brings the reign of the rod of Jesse into the lives of his people but from the arrival then we shift from the from that arrival to the rod's attributes. We see this in verses two and three So it begs the question, what is this person going to look like? What will characterize him? And maybe for some of us it's a little bit shocking to see what we see here in verses 2 and 3. For some of us it isn't. But the chief attribute given by Isaiah centers on the Spirit of God. The rod of Jesse will be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Did you catch how many times the spirit is listed? Four times in one verse is basically Isaiah shouting, it's the spirit that characterizes this individual. The four times is is saying that this person would have the possession of the spirit without measure. And such possession would be different from anything that had come prior. For sure, plenty of Old Testament saints like Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, just to name a few, had the spirit. He was essential for accomplishing the task that God had given them, Whether it was to reign, to lead, to deliver, to proclaim the word. But for this individual, his filling of the Spirit is unique. It's different. One commentator describes it like this. He is not just equipped with the power of the Spirit, like the judges of the earlier period. He is completely equipped, sevenfold with the power of the Spirit, which includes all the qualities necessary for a just and effective rule. And what we see here is that those qualities for that just and effective rule, they they center on wisdom. There's three couplings in verse 2. And all of them point to the Spirit equipping and empowering this individual with the perfect wisdom of God. We could do a study just on these couplings in the book of Proverbs and find them scattered throughout the entire book. The rod of Jesse will himself embody wisdom, not simply in life generally, though he certainly did, but in leadership, in his rule. He will have the ability not only to make wise plans, but to see that those wise plans get carried out perfectly. And his life and his reign will be marked by, characterized by, wisdom. It goes then without saying that such a ruler would have been a refreshing twist to the current regime in Israel. The current king Ahaz, he was a great leader, and by great I mean great in leading in foolishness, rebellion, and idolatry. And it goes without saying that a ruler like this, filled with the spirit of wisdom, would be a refreshing twist every single regime under the sun today. Even the ones that many of us might consider to be pretty decent. The lack of wisdom in leadership today is what leads many of us to cry out for the Rod of Jesse to come. We grow weary dealing with the self-interested, self-preserving reigns of the nations, sometimes even the companies and the people that we are under. And sadly, these characteristics aren't isolated to just the world stage. We can find such foolish leading even in churches today. But praise God that the rod of Jesse will not be like such rulers. He will be filled with the spirit of wisdom to the fullest. He will live out that perfect wisdom. He will indeed be wisdom incarnate, wisdom in the flesh. And if that's not a reason enough for Isaiah and the people and us to rejoice and to have hope and joy this morning... Isaiah says there's more than just he's filled with wisdom. He's devoted to the Lord. He says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That idea of fearing the Lord shouldn't surprise us, for we know in places like Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 that the fear of the Lord is intimately tied with wisdom. They go hand in hand. We should expect then if this person is filled with wisdom, then he should be equally filled with the fear of the Lord. It makes as much sense as 1 plus 1 equals 2. But notice how it is not simply that the individual fears the Lord, but that the fear of the Lord is actually his delight. It fosters joy in him, it moves him to worship. And just as a quick aside for us this morning, where is your delight this morning? And even more pointedly, is it in the fear of the Lord? In seeing his name held in the highest regard, of seeing the honor that he deserves being given to him here as we gather on his day, but also as we go about our lives daily. I know for me, my delight is too often elsewhere. And I'll be even more honest that oftentimes the fear of the Lord can kind of sound depressing to my foolish and sinful mind. But the truth is, the fear of the Lord is a delight. The honor of his name is a joyful thing. It was the delight of the rod of Jesse, and by his spirit, it will be the delight of all who follow him. And for the rod of Jesse, we see that everything flows out of his love for the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not one kind of leader in private and then another leader in public. Fear and delight mark his private and his public life together. They seep into everything he does. They produce the same fruit in his people who choose to follow after him. And more importantly, they mark him out as the true Davidic king. The one who has promised to lead his people, not just lead them, but to lead them in the love and the fear and the worship of the Lord. To be the king that we all need. And brothers and sisters, let us rejoice this morning that that king has come. Jesus, once again, is the rod of Jesse. At the very young age, Luke says that he he increased in wisdom and in stature. We read of his baptism where the Holy Spirit fell upon him, equipping him for the task that lay before him. Ultimately going to the cross to redeem his people. And from Jesus' own lips, he said, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, which also ties into Isaiah 11. Where he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus is the rod of Jesse, offering to lead his people in wisdom and fear and devotion, full devotion to the Lord. For it was his own wisdom and fear and love of the Lord that led him to the cross to purchase redemption for us, his people. And he is the joy of every longing heart that is hoping for, begging for, pleading for a ruler like him. So joyfully submit to him. Ask for his spirit, the same spirit that was in him, to empower you in all wisdom and understanding and might. And let his delight in his father, the fear of his father's name, produce in you a genuine delight and holy reverence in your heavenly father. For this is who he is as the rod of Jesse and what he offers to work in you as you submit to his reign today. Which finally brings us then to the last in the rod's activity in verses 3 through 5. If this is what the rod rod arrival will look like, if this is what he will look like, what's he going to do? And I'm going to start this point by offering a a summary of what Isaiah gives us. And then briefly look at just the the points that support that summary. And in short, the rod of Jesse, his activity is to reign as a good king. And now intentionally, I didn't say a great king. Will he be great? Absolutely. He will in fact be the greatest king. The close of the passage that Carl read earlier, his name is king of kings and lord of lords. It doesn't get greater than that. But the emphasis that Isaiah is pressing into here is not necessarily on his greatness, but on his goodness. The goodness that he himself has and the goodness that he himself will bring to his people and to the whole earth as well. For his reign will be marked by righteousness and truth. And is that not what we all want? Isn't that not what our world cries out for? As many live not under righteousness and truth, but live under tyranny and oppression. It's certainly what we pray for, week in and week out, at both the national and the local and even our church level. That our leaders would lead in goodness, in righteousness, and truth. And today will be a picture of that, as we will have men coming who have been elected and appointed to serve as elder or deacon, and we will ask God by his spirit to anoint these men so that they can lead like the rod of Jesse. No, it won't be perfect, but hopefully it will be filled with the spirit, and by their leading, we all will get a taste of the rod's good reign in and through, weak and finite men like them. But what does the rod's kingdom of goodness entail? Briefly, I'm just going to look at three things that Isaiah mentions. First is goodness and judgment. Look at verse 3. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. What we find here is that the rod of Jesse is not limited like every other human ruler who bases their judgment on what they see, what they hear, what they observe. They can't judge based on anything else. And while such sources are credible and critical, they will always leave the door open for injustice. Whether deliberate or simply the byproduct of human weakness in taking in what we hear and what we see, True justice, this side of heaven, cannot be guaranteed. But not so with the rod of Jesse. For his divine wisdom, given by the Spirit, guarantees that perfect justice will be there. Because he's not limited by what he sees and what he hears. He knows all things perfectly. And in wisdom, he's able to to rule without favoritism, without partiality. Things that plague our world day in and day out. Isaiah says, justice will not be withheld in his kingdom. There will never be cries of injustice heard. There will never be appeals that have to be made. New evidence will never be brought to light. Righteousness will be the hallmark of all of his judgments for all eternity. But second, we see there's goodness in his rule. Look at verse 4, the second half. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now I understand this might not scream goodness in our modern ears. The language of striking and killing may seem like a bit much. But for anyone who has ever been wronged, anyone who has ever been abused or victimized, or for the poor and the meek of the earth, This kind of rule is good, even great news. Because the rod of Jesse is not simply going to declare justice, he's going to execute it perfectly. And he will do so in a powerful way, by the word of his mouth. The word that he speaks of judgment will be an effective word. It will discipline, it will judge, it will purge evil sin, and violence. Just as God created all things with a word, so will the rod of Jesse judge all things with a word. And to those who are workers of such evil and wickedness on the earth, they will experience his wrath. They will receive the fruit of their sinful labors. But to those who are poor and who are meek, or those who are desperately aware of their need, particularly of a redeemer, they will experience his deliverance and his refuge. They will rest secure in his righteousness and the goodness of his kingdom. A kingdom without sin, a kingdom without evil, without violence. A kingdom where every teal will be wiped away. And just in case anyone doubts or questions the rod's ability to execute such good justice verse 5 removes all doubt righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins the picture of a belt is a picture of someone being fully equipped or fit for a task at hand I used to work construction back in my summers both high school and college and working construction I had a tool belt the foreman had a tool belt, and his was filled with tons of stuff. I'm still not sure how he walked grooves in high places with such a belt. But eventually, I got a belt. I was long enough there to, to get myself a belt. It didn't need all that much, but it was still fully equipped. I had my hammer, my tape measure, my square, my pencil, my chalk line, everything I needed to basically be given measurements to make cuts and to put them where they needed to be. My belt equipped me fully for every task that was given to me. We see the rod of Jesse has a belt like this, but infinitely greater. It has everything he needs to accomplish the task he's been given. Faithfulness and righteousness. It guarantees the effectiveness of his rule. And then lastly, we see the goodness of his peace. And for this subpoint, it's going to be quick because I'm going to simply encourage you to read verses 6 through 10. Those are very familiar verses that show the universal peace that this rod of Jesse will bring. We see peace in the animal world, we see peace among rival nations, but most critically, we see peace between God and man. Harmony and security will thrive where the rod of Jesse reigns. But all of this activity of the rod of Jesse, this wisdom that he reigns in, this perfect justice that he will execute, this righteousness that he will usher in, we see that it will cover every square inch of creation. Nothing will be left untouched. And one more time, we, rem- we see or are reminded that Jesus is this rod of Jesse. For in John chapter 5, he himself said, I have been given the authority to judge the authority from God the Father. And he, by the means of his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, is our pathway to peace. First and foremost, peace with God. For in his first advent he came to save the poor and the needy, which is each and every one of us. Because outside of Christ, we have nothing. Outside of Christ, we are wicked, we are evil, we are sinful. Sinners deserving of his wrath and judgment. Yet in him there is freedom. There is salvation. There is the offer to do what the hymn we're basing this sermon series on declares. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the death of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. You and I only need to come to him in faith. But Jesus is also the rod of Jesse who is coming again. Bringing the fullness of his kingdom the fullness of his victory, the fullness of his judgment with him. Carl gave us a glimpse of that when he read earlier from Revelation chapter 19. And let me just read a couple of those verses because if you were listening and you thought it was a little bit obscure, I want you to listen again and hear how Isaiah 11 feeds its way into even Revelation 19. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. The rod of Jesse is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His activity in his present reign of righteousness and peace is here now. And it will one day be fully realized for all of eternity when he comes as that conquering king we read of in Revelation 19. So as we close, I want to bring us back to actually the hymn that we opened our service with this morning. Joy to the World. It's a familiar hymn. It's probably many of our favorite Christmas hymns. But that hymn emphasizes many of the same things we find here about the rod of Jesse in Isaiah 11. We could very easily switch out Lord, with the rod of Jesse. He is the king of all the earth, promising peace in heaven and on earth. He is the reigning savior of his people, of all who seek refuge in him. He is the one through whom the curse will be rolled back and the blessings of God will flow abundantly and eternally. And he is the one who rules even now in truth and in grace and will one day bring that truth and grace to cover every square inch of creation. And brothers and sisters, if this does not stir our hearts with joy this morning, plead with the Holy Spirit to let him work joy in you. That the rod of Jesse is your king, your ruler. If this does not lead you to delight in Jesus Christ, then ask the Spirit to give you an increase in delight in him. If it doesn't lead you to sing, we're not going to sing this hymn this morning, but rejoice, rejoice, the rod of Jesse will come to thee, O Israel. Ask the Spirit to let this text in Isaiah 11 take deep root in your heart. Because we, of all people on the face of the earth, have reason to rejoice. Today, tomorrow, and every day that we wait for the rod of Jesse to return. Yes, we may be suffering. Yes, the raging kingdoms of this world can bear down on us. And yes, the days of waiting will be painful and they will be hard. I'm not diminishing that or dismissing that by any stretch of the imagination. But the joy that the rod of Jesse brings is an eternal joy. The blessings of his reign that we experience today are incomparable to any blessings we could taste on earth. And service to his kingdom will bring that eternal weight of glory that will make us look back and see all the suffering in this life was worth it. So let our hope not be shaken. Let our joy be deeply rooted. The rod of Jesse has come and he is coming again. Jesus Christ is the rod of Jesse, the ruler the world desperately needs and the ruler his people await for. Let us rejoice in him. Let us pray. Father God, we do rejoice that you have sent Jesus, the rod of Jesse, to save us from sin, from judgment, from death. That you have given us a hope through his perfect work and you have allowed us to taste even his good and righteous reign today. May that give us hope and joy for all the days that we wait for his glorious return. Help us to be faithful. Help us to proclaim There is a ruler, there is one king, and Jesus Christ is his name. May we submit to him, and may we call others to submit to him as well.